Hello and welcome to part three of Gone Too Soon on one of the hottest podcasts in British ice hockey at the moment, if I do say so myself, Behind the Bench with Neil Francis. And uh, gone too soon in this set of three is uh, John Donovan, who uh, unfortunately isn't with us uh, for this episode. But have no fear, he will be back for uh, whatever our next topic is. And the good news, Gaz, is it, it's the, the latter part of the devil's history. So John acts as our memory bank, doesn't he, for, for the early years that, uh, that yeah, have, have been cast right to the back of my mind. But uh, yeah, well, hopefully we'll get through this without, uh, without JD. Yeah, we wouldn't have even attempted to do this episode if it wasn't anything pre Big Blue Tent era because... I think he just wanted to get in for the Rick Brabant bit, didn't he? <laughs> He's been pushing for a Rick Brabant episode, but uh, without him, we would never, ever get anywhere with that one. Um, but yeah, Franny, you're here, so, you know, you're the name on the marquee, so... Okay, it, um, let's give it a go. <laughs> we, um, we will miss John, of course. Okay, so where we left off is um, the WNIR era, and we've had a lot of feedback about... Uh, parts one and two. Um, first of all, thank you very much for the picture of the strawberry jerseys. Oh, was that Kenwin again? No. No, Kenwin requested it. Yeah. Um, and then we uh, we did get um, a couple. Of I thought I had it, that. but it was um, it, it was Rick Brabant in the replacement for the strawberry jerseys after they they binned them off. But then yeah, we did have said shirt brought back great memories. And that's exactly the kind of thing we want to do. We want to build some uh, some visuals to go along with the stories that we tell here. We also appear to be John Craighead's favourite podcast as well after he, <laughs> he got on the the uh, description of the episode as having been mentioned and the, uh, he got on board. So good to see that uh, John Craighead's still keeping in touch with British ice hockey. And we also had some pushback for, I mean, for uh, a story you told. One yeah, punch. I got, yeah, I got, got called out. Thanks, <laughs> thanks Scott. Scott Ancliffe from Sheffield. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've, I've refined my memory banks on this one. I have contacted said coach at the time, and I was almost there. <laughs> I think I went out in the in the pod and said that um, Ken Priestley had actively pushed one punch on us. <laughs> Turns out, One Punch approached us, as lots of players do in the summer. Um, on his CV, as a reference, was Ken Priestley. Um, so, he was doing his kind of research. You know, he's got this guy that's got an Irish passport. He's six foot six. He's uh, willing to fly himself over to, to France for our tryout. Um, and... Yeah, he's got the reference that he skates in the summer with Ken Priestley. It's got to be a, a good standard skate. So he's, he's just contacted Priestley to say, got this kid, uh, you skate with him, what can you tell me about him? Good. And, you know, he has given a positive rather than a negative reference on that. <laughs> so if I was Ken Priestley, I wouldn't put my name to him either. So I'm not surprised <laughs> that he, he denies all knowledge of this. But um, he was contacted for a reference. Uh, it wasn't a negative reference, and yeah, we ended up with the pleasure of having one punch out in practice. I'm glad we did, so thanks, Ken Priestley, <laughs> if that makes it any better. Um, but yeah, we, we had one punch out for practice. Uh, he, you know, he 
one of the best nicknames that we've had on the on, on uh, some of our guys. Um, in, um, but there we go. So, so th- th- there we go. So there we go. Just a bit, a few uh, things cleared up from uh, yeah. parts one and two. And we uh, did, we did find Beavis, didn't we? We, we, <laughs> we did found, find Beavis. We found Beavis, who is Marco Slabenko. Um, yeah, so we found him. So that was uh, that was good to come out of it. But we're still missing one punch's name. I even used my best elite prospect scouring search for players with Irish passports, <laughs> and I still can't get hold of him. So, um, and if anybody knows one punch, then yeah, you know, please tweet us. Is it possible he's a rollerblader that ended up just having one go on skates for you guys in a training camp? That's what it looked like, to be honest, in training camp. <laughs> And, um, oh, dearie me. So thank you very much for, yeah, clearing that. I, I didn't actually put um, Beavis, his name, in Google Images to see if anything existed, which was foolish of me, really. because yeah, the... it would just come up with a picture of Beavis. <laughs> so. Thank you very much to Phil Jones on Phil Twitter. Phil Jones, for yeah, finding, came, came uh, up with the strawberries. Came up with the strawberry shirt. So, uh, I mean, people must have known it, but it was bad because the picture's in black and white. So... <laughs> Yeah, didn't want that getting out in colour at all. So, we ended with the Wells National Ice Rink. We're going on into the tent and Viola Arena uh, eras, Ice Arena Wales as well. Um, There won't really be many Ice Arena Wales or Viola Arena uh, players. The last five years uh, I've seen a massive retention in players. So we'll go all the way back to the first ever season in the Big Blue Tent. Personally, one of my favourite seasons of all time, the 06-07 season. Um, before we get into the individual players, we will, I'm sure, do a longer episode on this season in the future. So there's a couple of guys I want to touch on from this team. We'll start in defence. There's only one player, or maybe two players eligible in defence, but someone who... Um, I interviewed very early into his career as a devil when he knew next to no English. So that was a fun <laughs> interview. Lukas Komarek. What can you tell us about Lukas Komarek, the Slovakian D-man? Yeah, I mean, Lukas, um, it, it is always quite fun having having a guy with broken English on the team because normally all they can communicate in is swear words because that's, the, that's yeah. the only words. And, and he was no exception to this. Um, you know, he had... Very basic English, but, you know, he was a good guy. We had a lot of fun with him. You know, he kind of understood us more than we would understand his, his English and <laughs> just pretty much used to laugh at anything. But as a player, um, you know, very solid, you know, quite physical, had a you know pretty mean hip check on him. Um, I think he went the whole year without scoring a goal. He did. If I remember it was, rightly. It was quite uh, in incredible. My best, in my best John Donovan uh, <laughs> recollection, but um, yeah, seven assists, one hundred and nine penalty minutes, no goals, no goals. But um, yeah, he was, uh, you know, he he was a good player. You know, he was definitely a defensive defenseman. You know, no nonsense. But you know, I, I like the physicality about him, um, and yeah, I mean, gone too soon. Ah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can put him in that category when you look at some of the other guys that we've called out. But nonetheless, uh, a solid player. My uh, abiding memory of that interview I did with him, and honestly, it must have only been a couple of weeks after he arrived in the country. I think all of his answers were, say again, please. 
<laughs> didn't get to print. I do, I do remember him getting mad at me because I, I got injured in this season, so I was kind of on the bench helping out. Or in fact, it might not be. It might be before I got injured, um, but I was kind of doing what I used to do and gene guys up on the bench. And I only ever concentrate on forwards. Even when I was bench coach, D, the D just run themselves. I only ever concentrate on forwards. So guys are coming off, and I'm going up and giving them a pat on the backside and everything, and, and you know pumping them up. And he took it really personally that I hadn't told him he'd had a good shift. But he's a defenseman. I don't know defense. I don't know what they do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was going around. I was fist pumping the guys after a big shift. And he's like, why haven't, why haven't you said this to me? Don't you like me? You Don't you like my game? But um, it's just because I just don't understand defensemen. <laughs> well, we've learned that in this podcast series, if nothing else. Um, so let's have a couple of the forwards, me. So... We did have a chat, didn't we, about one guy that, I mean, he played a full season in this one, so he kind of takes, he t- takes himself out of qualification, but he paid a bit part of the season after. Honourable mention to Dion Darling. Um, I'd heard really bad things about him <clears throat> up, from up in Sheffield, that he was, you know, not very nice to the Brits and whatever. When he came into Cardiff, um, I really, really liked him as a guy, and I could see why he got the rep he did because he was hard on guys that weren't prepared to work hard. So if he saw any of the Brits, and maybe some of the Brits in Sheffield at the time, were you know not pulling their weight, he went out and skated them after practice. You know, mm-hmm. He wasn't afraid to call people out. He wasn't afraid to, you know, to be a, an ultimate captain and take things into his own hands. Um, but if you worked hard, which I like to think I did, you know, he was absolutely fine with that, and you know, he turned out to be a, a wicked guy. So... Um, yeah, that was a, a nice surprise for me when we got Dion Darling in because I wasn't looking forward to it that much. But um, I think I'm an amazing captain, and maybe we touch on that on the on the captain's episode. Yeah, I, I uh, I'm a big fan of Dion. I remember speaking to him. I think it was around I guess November time, and you guys had been on the road for the first few months, and as you said, training in Bristol and. I asked him sort of how, how he was feeling about that and he just shrugged and said, well, we got to do it. <laughs> he did. It was nothing, you know, it wasn't a hassle. It was, it was what he signed up for. He knew in advance that's what he had to do. Yeah. So he's like, get on with it. We can't have it as an excuse. He also tells a mean story about when he played in Russia the one year and they used to pay him in cash in bin bags. <laughs> and then you'd step outside the rink and you'd pretty much get, uh, get jumped by... Uh, by people who are trying to rob your loot. So there's, there's playing in <laughs> Russia for you. Was it Dion Darling that used to do fight training with Jerome McGinley in yeah. the summer? Was he, that Dion? Yeah, he... Um, I hadn't heard the McGinley bit, but I had heard that because of his size, obviously back in North America, he was um, often put into the role where you had to look after yourself. And you know, he had a couple of scraps. He hadn't done that well. He wasn't making the impression. So he went full-on boxing training, you know, fighting with some real real heavies and totally revolutionized his game um in order to fulfill that role that was expected of him and he was a tough boy really <laughs> really really tough love watched him fight very very technical um took on took on anyone um and very rarely would you see him second best couple of other guys from 0607 then um another one i was a big fan of and i i thought could have Maybe returned the next year and made an impact. Dave Ionasso? Yeah. Um, Ionasso <clears throat> had 
I seem to remember a really good college career in a, in a top um, American NCAA college. Um, you know, a small winger, but he was really, really stocky. You know, very low. You know, he had a low center of gravity, but he was very, very solid on his feet. Um, but a good goal scorer too. You know, um, I, I almost feel that we didn't see the best out of him. I don't know what it was that I, I feel that he could have, on another era, have absolutely ripped the league apart because he definitely had that um, that speed, that shiftiness, uh, and the finishing ability to be a top scorer in the league. Um, it, from what, from what I remember, I think he was very much a confidence player, and you know he, he went through spells where he was scoring fine, and he went through dry spells where you could see it was playing on his mind. Um, but yeah, I always felt that there could have been a lot more from from Ayanazan. Did he maybe not have the natural instinct of a finisher that John Pelle had? Maybe, um, maybe it was that. It was perhaps it was you know the size on our because um, he was playing in the tent. You know, which was really small, and you know, perhaps it didn't give him the space. I mean, North American rinks aren't that much bigger, but um, you know, perhaps he could have just benefited from that extra space where Pals actually thrived in the BBT as <laughs> as crazy as he is because his awareness was so good and he could get to spots even quicker. But um, yeah, Ionazo definitely, definitely a useful player. Um, you know, contributed well, um, but I, I, I don't know. I just feel that in another on another team you know he would have been the man he um did have a very good college career as you uh, stated he was captain in his last season at st cloud state university um and he finished his devils uh one and only season with 24 goals and 26 assists for 50 points in 54 games and pretty, then only pretty played- and then because he was so clever and had gone to university, he only played one more year as a pro before <laughs> getting out of the business. Uh, yeah, so when you look at the the makeup of the lines on this team, you had Mark Smith, the forward, first time round, possibly the best player in the league. Um, we say first time round because when he came back, didn't work out so well because he just wanted to be a pro golfer <laughs> rather than play hockey. Um, you had Max here for the first time. Um, who's, you know, as we know, is an incredible player. Uh, and then Paul Sample, who jumped up on that line, um, which was the big surprise package, but complimented Max and, and Mark Smith uh, really well. So Ian Azza was always playing down the lines. And, you know, there's quite a jump, I think, from the other scorers that were not top-line players. Um, so maybe I'm doing him a bit of a disservice by saying I wanted more from him. But, yeah, pretty good return. Russell Cowley is one and only um, season away from Coventry, more or less, in terms of his pro career. Came across to try and get up the lines a little bit more. I remember at the time he had been a real good sort of third liner for the Blaze, part of that, you know, trophy-laden team under Paul Thompson. The Devils lost... A few players to Sheffield, John Phillips left to go to Sheffield, Phil Hill went to go to Sheffield. So there was that gap there for Cowley to come in. I remember he started on fire um, those first few months. He was player of the month, I think, in, in October and seemed to really find his legs. And then, I guess, the juggle of Paul Sample moving up the lines, maybe. I think he got injured, if I remember right. I think you're right as well. No, yeah. you're saying that. God, I surprise myself sometimes. <laughs> but... Um, no, Russ was uh, 
Russ was a player that always really did well against us in, in Cardiff, uh, against Cardiff when he was in Coventry. Um, always remember it, got really good shot, quick release, and always used to go shelf. Um, so, and I think Russ was a victim of quite quite often what happens if you are if you go to a team quite young and you stay with the same team. I, you, you maybe get taken advantage a little bit of. So I think this was his kind of stretching his wings and uh, you know and saying he's not afraid to move away if he doesn't get the opportunities. Um, but no, yeah, Russ was like like you said, he was on fire um, up until that point where he got injured, and then obviously once he he came back, he's missed a chunk of the season, and then maybe didn't get quite up to those heights. But you know, he left the next year, went back to Coventry. I think they then appreciated more what they what they'd lost. So. Um, you know, had a better role with them and you know fantastic servant to the Coventry Blaze and to British Hockey GB in general and still going still going strong um, in the uh, NIHL with, with Basingstoke and, uh, and Ashley Tate so you know Russ fantastic guy um, absolute gentleman and uh, yeah I mean he, he's a, a Brit that you would you know that you would have on your team so definitely a gone too soon because you know whichever team that he chose to go on he was going to stay at for as long as they wanted him yeah he probably would have developed as much kind of as he did at Coventry yep. because in the late years of Coventry I guess it was a bit of a similar situation there was a bit more swapping and changing after Thompson left but he kind of stepped into that role as a leader and um yeah he does uh, he follows the podcast as well does of course, he so, even better I'm glad I said know, nice things about Dr. Him. Russell Cowley Doc have you know <laughs> Dr. Russell Cowley and that's impressive having a career like he did or he still is, while going right the way to the top of his education. So, top man, Russ. Yeah, lucky to have uh, him in a devil shirt for that one season. Last person on this list, Lee Richardson. Yeah, absolute beauty. Love L Train. Um, <laughs> it was it was bittersweet for me when L Train signed. To be honest, because when he when L Train was in Coventry, he pretty much carried out the same role as me in Cardiff as that kind of tenth forward spotting up the lines um, and obviously I always had aspirations on getting a more regular shift um, and then you know when you bring in another Brit to, to do that then okay it's competition which is healthy which is great but you know as soon as he arrived um, I knew what a great guy he was what a great teammate he was and you know more than happy to have shared ice time with him um, and you know contribute he's one of those underrated team players that will give it all every single night um you know he he could he would play the unselfish role you know shut down other teams top lines if you wanted to play on that role you could give him a few shifts up the lineup you could get him to kill penalties um and again you know lee richardson if he had chosen to to stay in cardiff then yeah i'm sure we'd, we'd have wanted to keep him for as long as we could well, it's crazy to look at his uh, statistics here. He doesn't play elite league hockey after leaving the Devils. Uh, he goes to, to Swindon and then uh, is a big part of the, the Wildcats organisation for a number of years. And uh... Yeah, so I, I think that, I mean, obviously Swindon is home. Um, it also gives him the opportunity to be a go-to guy on a team rather than a fill-in guy that, you know, both he and I were um, at elite league level. So... Um, yeah, he, he you know he went back to Swindon. He's always been, you know, a great great influence in the dressing room. So it's no surprise to see him wearing, you know, assistant captain or captain in 
a load of his years now, I think, if I remember rightly, isn't he coaching in Oxford, maybe? He is, and uh, he too has made a lone appearance for the Basingstoke Bison this year. So, uh, Old Ashley, Boys Network. <laughs> Ashley Tate will be uh, listening to this episode probably uh, on the phone to One Punch right now <laughs> to see if he uh, can get him over for next year. Yeah, if you want a reference, just uh, ring Ken <laughs> Um, next season in the tent then and um, this is Jared Adams first full season in charge Franny are you part of the inner coaching circle at this point no I You're was still, not still uh, just one of the boys in the yeah I mean I always from, from the day G came down and I've told the story in other events how when G was playing for Sheffield I would see him as their leader and I'd try and get under his skin and you know he always had that angry look on his face and um, you know, as much as I was trying to wind him up, I was very kind of nervous, bricking it a little bit that he might actually bite one day and, uh, <laughs> and it wouldn't be pretty, but I met him after through, you know, my mate Samps. Um, so when he came down, he came down in the summer to have a little scout around and then he ended up signing for the Devils. And then we had a season together as players where we were very close. When he took over as coach then, um, he kind of saw me as one of the senior guys in the room that he would bounce stuff off me, uh, ideas off me. And that's kind of how we um, ended up being a, a coaching tandem um, because we had that good relationship, very open and honest relationship. And uh, yeah, his first, his first year in charge then. It is. And uh, in the 07-08 team, there's only really two players who qualify under our rules. The first of those uh, I'd like to talk about is um, Sylvain de Chatelet. Beauty. Or as my friend told me when he first signed, we signed Sylvain des Chatelets. <laughs> or just Sly if you want to go by his nickname. But de Chatelet was an absolute beauty as a guy. Um, I don't want to be too controversial now, but with French Canadians, sometimes the well, I, I, I want to say the. <laughs> Got to be careful how I word it. French Canadians, the the myth or the the story is that they sometimes don't integrate well into the room, and we hadn't had that many experiences of them. But looking back, everyone we've had has been an absolute beauty of a guy. Um, so De Chatelet comes in. We don't know too much about him, but he's recommended by Mike Garrow. Okay. So he played with Mike Garrow before. Um, he was you know recommended as a highly skilled guy and he came in as our top line center i think yeah yeah and he basically took mark smith's yeah spot because mark that. smith had gone off to italy if i remember rightly so he came in obviously he's got big shoes to fill as mark smith we've got a good reference from garrow's guy the guy that we respected um I can't even remember whether he had a slow start, and this is where we need JD, but... He did have a slow start. Or, or whether he had an okay start, and then it slowed up for him, but it, it, it didn't... It looked like it wasn't going to end too well, didn't it? It got to that stage where, famously, he was put on his two weeks' notice. He was. Yeah, and to be fair to him, he said, okay, I, I accept that, I haven't been up to my best, I'll play my two weeks' notice. Now, normally, a guy gets their two weeks' notice, they're taking that two weeks' money... And they're running, they're getting another team. Um, but he he said, I want to play for my spot, which, you know, shows, I think, a lot about the character of the guy. Uh, they dropped him down the lineup, and I think he actually played on a line with me and Matt Toe. I think that was that was the line. 
Um, <laughs> and I'm not taking any credit this now for, for saving his career. Hang on, so now is like Doug Smale <laughs> yeah. and Sylvain de Chatelet. Uh, Gre- careers... uh, Glenn Anderson. Glenn yeah. Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's three players there whose careers in Devils uniforms have been galvanised. Well, it's our podcast. I can, I can shape them whatever we are like. But... Oh, no, I just wanted for the record so everyone is clear <laughs> that that is exactly what happened. What actually happened is <laughs> de Chatelet obviously liked it in Cardiff. Didn't want to move on, had the, you know, kind of boot up the arse that uh, he had two weeks to save his job. And he went on a tear, didn't he? Even Did. even being hampered with me as a winger. Um, so maybe Toei. Toei is uh, the one that should be credited with saving his job. Um, because somehow, you know, he ended up managing to put up a load of points during that short period of time. Uh, worked his way back on the power play, worked his way back onto the top line. And ends up finishing the year as top scorer on our team by some distance. He did. Um, 23 goals, 53 assists, including a game against Basingstoke where he got seven assists in one game. Well, And he absolutely dominated the Basingstoke Bison with having a devil's jersey. He moved to the Coventry Blaze the year after that. He did. I'm guessing that Mark Smith's return is what put the Chatelet out of that picture yeah obviously we never wanted to lose Mark Smith in the first place um, went across to Italy um, I didn't realise it was so soon that he came back um, but I'll take your word for it the um, <laughs> uh, Chatelet had a if I remember he still put up really good numbers up in up in Coventry he did he had uh, 78 points the year after yep but with a better start so did he really do as well <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, the opportunity. I remember G, like I said, he was sort of confiding in with me um, as a senior player about uh, team decisions and, um, yeah, being really excited that we got Mark Smith back because to us he was the, the league MVP um, and, you know, he was somebody that we were looking forward to build a team around. But I don't know why, but it very rarely works second time around and this is a classic case of it didn't with Mark Smith. And I will correct myself. It wasn't Mark Smith that came in the year after. Oh. Um, I'm not really sure who the natural successor in that team would have been. I guess Jason Silverthorne had a more advanced role. Well, yeah, now you mention it. Silverthorne, I think, was brought in for our third line centre. Was? Third or second line centre. I'm trying to think who. Maybe second line centre. I remember he started on the third he line. He was with Matt Toll. That's right. He started on the third line. When the Chatelet went off the boil, uh, Silverthorne was put on that first line. Yep. Did well. Got some chemistry with Max Beerbrier. Um, and he, he sort of established himself then, didn't he? As a, as a legit import. And you know, he went on to be a very, you know, a very good import in his own right. And uh, I think then for the year after... He cemented down that, that first line spot and then we brought in Jayla Tulip, I think. The... Yep, Jayla Tulip is um, is brought in this year as well. Yeah. So we're rolling on now to 08, 09. A um, couple of guys here, definitely a couple who didn't go too soon. Um, but the one Enigma player on this 08, 09 team that I have to talk about because I thought natural ability and skating ability was out of this world. Matt Elich yes. came in late in this season 
Um, now I've heard a few things about maybe he wasn't the best teammate in the world. I, I don't think he was an issue in terms of a bad person as a as a teammate, but it was a very strange one. And this is where I remember G was looking to recruit a guy and there was a number of options. It was very, very limited availability. Now, one of the golden rules that, that you know we always went by is that if a if a player's had a number of clubs in a season over successive seasons it's probably not the best guy to bring in and Matt Elitch is probably the great example of this in terms of being just a bit of a different guy I mean you look at his career you know he was a a high draft you know quite high draft was he third round or something could skate NHL skating no doubt about it um, had all the tools, but there's just something wasn't quite right, and yeah, he just like literally could not pay attention for more than five <laughs> seconds. Um, I remember a, a great time we were up in Nottingham, it might have even been playoffs or, or something, and it's a timeout with a couple of minutes left. We need, need a goal. G's on the board, he's drawing up a play, and me and Toby are next to each other on the bench because we're not getting on in uh, with two minutes to go. And we're looking at Elitch, and he's skating round our end like circles. He's looking up in the crowd. He's whistling to himself. He's just absolutely away with the fairies. And he, he skates past the bench, and he starts chatting to us. And we're like, Elitch, aren't you meant to be in this timeout? You're probably out there. He's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he jumps into the timeout as, as G had finished giving his instructions. So he had no clue what play he'd called. And, and that was pretty typical of, of Elitch. But, I mean, he was... <laughs> He was a guy that we had fun with. Um, <laughs> Doug McIver nicknamed him the Scorpion King. Um, we were, I don't know. We, it was always, he was always the butt of jokes, but not in a nasty way, and he took it well. Um, you know, a very, very talented player, but just you can see why with all those tools and with all that potential, he didn't make it anywhere near where he should. I'm looking forward to talking about this season in more depth one day because I'm just looking at the defence that we had this year. Jared Adams, Mike Hartwick, Wes Jarvis, Doug McIver, Jason Stone, Tyson Toplitsky with Aubrey in goal. And Lickett Anderson. And Lickett Anderson. <laughs> Lickett Anderson, yeah. I was, I was brushing over him because I wasn't sure if uh, he met the gone too soon category. <laughs> Someone who did have uh, a big uh, uh, wealth of commitment in a Devils jersey, Derek Campbell. The nice Derek Campbell, not the uh, maniac kitty from behind with a cross-check Derek Campbell who played for a lot of other clubs. Yeah, so so this Derek Campbell is the guy that played for Basingstoke the year before. Um, one of the hardest hitters I've ever I've ever experienced, you know. Um, he was, yeah, a, a great player. I think he was a player that a lot of people were looking forward to have on because you'd seen him play for Basingstoke, finishing all his hits. Um he just had that grit. He had that Cardiff Devils type player about him, didn't he? And I think he was one of the many this year that got injured. If I remember, we had a horrific injury list. All the injuries. Um, Mike Perpick, maybe. Yeah. Um, I know Samps had knee surgery. Derek Campbell. Calmedo had a, a Calmedo had something. Uh, Mark Fulton we brought in as injury cover. And then four games later, he's... He's had knee surgery. It was just the weirdest sequence of events ever. 
um, like somebody had a voodoo doll. But I think we had like <laughs> nine people on the sidelines at, at one stage. And um, yeah, this was a year actually that I started coaching. There we go. Because G had started the year as a dedicated coach. It was the first time he'd stepped off the player coach role. After about the fifth injury going down, he had to step back into the, to the player coach role. Um, we played you know, five or six, maybe ten games with him as a player coach, and we were on a very bad spell. Um, I got injured then across in Belfast in the Challenge Cup quarter or semi-final, and uh, I ended up snapping my knee ligaments, and this is the last games I ever played. Um, but I remember saying to G, do you want me to stay on the bench um, to just be an extra set of eyes for you? You know, you've got enough going on. And, and like I said, we'd had this you know, really good rapport, uh, a lot of trust between us. Um, and he's like, yeah, let's do that. And uh, I think we ended up winning the, the last nine games of the season before we, we made it to the playoffs. So um, that's how, how it started off with, with me as a bench coach, G as a player coach. It was in the summer. Um, whether he just didn't want to tell me he didn't want me to play or whatever, but he said, um, <laughs> he said, look, it worked really well last year. I've got a proposition. I'll carry on playing. You bench coach on the weekends, and it, you know, it worked well. I was thirty four, and uh, um, yeah, it was it was the right time. So, was this the year that G had his first child? He missed a game in Sheffield. He did. That, he that was the scored last, the winner. That was the last game of the season. Um, it was up in Sheffield. Like, you know, up until this point, I'd always been a player and I'm eight coaches into being, eight games, sorry, into being a bench coach. And then G rings me up and goes, Nina's gone into labour, you're going to have to take the team. And it was like, oh, and not, we had a BBC film crew on our bus that day for Sport <laughs> Wales as well. So it was, they were filming like the team talk, which I'd never given before. Um, <laughs> but I remember it was the day that Sheffield were raising the banner. Um, okay. They've just won the league. And they were raising the banner against us. And something in my team talk was about spoiling their party. And, uh, you know, there's no way that we're going to just roll over and let them have, have their day. Uh, and we ended up winning that game. Um, nothing to do with any coaching on that. But uh, <laughs> probably that Sheffield had been out celebrating. But, yeah, I always remember that that was my kind of one game where I was in, in sole charge and, uh, and the nerves kicking in just before giving that first team talk. Just to finish on Derek Campbell... Um, was it the injury that stopped him coming back the year after? I imagine he was someone that G would have liked. I, th I think it was. I think he wanted to move back to his old club. If I remember right, he went back to Rapid City. Um, or, or, perhaps it wasn't his old club, but he went back to, to North America. Um, it might have been family situation at the time. But yeah, I'm sure there's somebody that we, we would want back because he just had that, like I say, Cardiff Devils feel to his game. Doug McIver, another beauty. Big dude, uh, six foot five, came to the Devils off of a point a game season in the Netherlands. Yep. So obviously he had uh, some form of uh, you know, uh, good ability on him, wasn't just uh, a big brute. What can you tell us about Doug McIver? Doug McIver, an absolute beauty off the ice, um, really fun guy. Um, as a player, yeah, he had the size um, that was perfect in the BBT. Um, he did have the skills as well. They like say, you know, he, he put up numbers 
in in Holland after being pretty much stereotyped into his you know big yeah. defenseman role in North America. Um, so we knew he had that. So I, I love Doug as a player. Love him as a guy as well. Um, did massive things off the ice. I remember he spent Christmas Day um, going around. I think visiting one of the children's hospital. Um, he's got the weirdest diet ever, um, <laughs> where he would go to you know to restaurants and he would have garlic bread with cheese to start, and then he'd have a cheese pizza for his main course without tomato base on it. So it basically be like another version of the garlic bread without the garlic, but. Um, and, and he used to, from what I remember, he used to eat uh, that, so pizza without tomato sauce and loads of croissants. And that's, <laughs> and that's literally, literally what he lived off, and I'm not even lying there. Um, but, so uh, cheese on toast twice. Uh, and... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and croissants. But um, yeah, he was, uh, he was a guy, he, he stood up uh, you know, for teammates when he wanted to. A big point in getting dug in was that, you know, Vothard had to shoulder the tough guy role for, on his own. For a long time and that's not fun so we wanted somebody that, that could kind of you know alternate and give off a bit more freedom to play uh, and he did that I remember he had a you know decent scrap with bobby robbins um you know he, he went after a couple of guys that uh you know that tried to take liberties so great teammate um great guy so you're now ingratiated into the inner sanctum of the coaching team so for the next few seasons Franny, you, uh, you're very much blamed for the ones that have gone too soon from here on <laughs> out. If you haven't been able to keep hold of them, the, the blame will lie squarely with you, sir. Um, Matt Miller, the goalie killer. <laughs> Someone who uh, was famed for his direct routes to net. A small, speedy, seemingly, for an opposition team, very annoying <laughs> player to play against. The John Armstrong of his day in terms of... Uh... <laughs> Treatment of goalies, wasn't he? He wasn't that small, actually. I mean, he's quite quite a big fella. Quite, yeah. Quite a, quite a strong fella. Um, in my mind, I just had him... Yeah, he, he played in Basingstoke again, I think, the mm-hmm. year before. Um, G had taken a reference. I think Ryan Aldridge was the coach in Basingstoke that year, who absolutely loved him. And you know, um, Matt Miller did, did really well there. Got loads of goals. And uh, I thought he was a really good player. Really good. Very, very strong player. Um, could play centre, could play wing, and yeah, as much as we criticise Armstrong for it, you know, in those games which were tight, when you know you're looking for some kind of controversy just to try and stir the pot, yeah, he always seemed to fall over near the goalie, didn't he? <laughs> and and get up with that surprised look on his face as well, as if what happened there. But um, yeah, effective player. Um, was probably playing on a... What line would he have been playing on? I think he was a second liner this year. Yeah. I think because didn't... Um, I'm guessing Tyler Michelle would have... Well, Tyler Michelle was the third line, wasn't he? Because he was with Matt Toe. Um, it was Toey, Tyler, and somebody else. <laughs> ben Davis? Been... Maybe even Matt Miller. No, there we go. Maybe it was. Because then you would have had Jay, Phil, Voth as your second line. It started off, but then we brought Finner in halfway through the year. And Finner came in. Okay. Matt Miller, seen, again, much like Derek Campbell, was he someone you were looking to, to keep a hold of? 
I, I can't even remember. I, I don't. I mean, there was there was elements of him that that probably we'd like to have improved on. Um, you know, another guy that went back across to the central league. I don't think he did particularly well after that. Um, you know, there, there were yeah bits of him that maybe didn't fit with ideally what we wanted on the team. Um, so I, I would say that was probably probably our choice rather than run his not to not to get him to return. Interested, and you're quite right. His career did really stagnate. Afterwards, he uh, went back to the CHL, Mississippi River Kings, 13 points in 31 games. Um, got so, traded to Dayton Gems, again, 13 points in 21 games. So I'm going to say gone at the right time then. <laughs> well, we, we maybe. Had him, we had him on the way up and then... Uh, maybe, because 49 points in 56 yeah. for 153 penalty minutes as well. Which, respectable, <laughs> isn't it? Which I assume a goalie interference calls on game misconduct. Perhaps he was getting a bit carried away with that and then uh, we were sitting on the, the penalty kill for, for quite a bit. Perhaps that, that was our rationale. <laughs> One player um, who many people said went too soon within the same season and came back, Scott Romfo. What an interesting mm. story this is. Yeah, we, we tracked him for a year or so before um i remember staying up particularly late to watch the uh the kelly cup because he was with south carolina i think um and they made it all the way and they won the the kelly cup that year if i remember rightly and they did um yeah we, we'd obviously had a lead on him from somewhere maybe an agent or something um and did he play with the chatelet at south carolina Maybe, Possibly. maybe that that's what it is. But he had real solid numbers, consistent numbers right the way through. That normally translates really well into our league. Um, and he came across, and I can only think that he'd underestimated our league. You know, he just won the the Kelly Cup on on a high. Perhaps he didn't do that much in the summer then to to get him ready. And you know, a lot of players come over thinking it's going to be a step down, um, where actually, when they get here, they're surprised of the standard. You know, Jamie Milam springs to mind, you know, that, that same kind of thing. But, you know, he came in and he was, yeah, he wasn't doing anywhere near what we expected. This, this is Ron Funa. Uh, not doing anywhere near what we expected of him. Um, so I believe he was issued his two weeks notice, wasn't he? He was, but he was on a MBA deal with mm. Cardiff University. So he stuck around. Yeah. And then there were injury problems. Surprise, yeah, surprise. Cause we, yeah, because we brought in Finity to, to replace... Um, to replace Romfo. G, I think, had been playing as a forward, then stepped back into the D-man role. Um, yeah, he obviously not happy. He's here to get his MBA. And again, it, it happens that maybe that's the sole reason that he was over here, which is why we weren't getting the commitment on the ice, is that he was here to get school and then didn't really take his hockey seriously. And you know that is a massive consideration when you're recruiting guys on the MBA. You need to know that they're the NBA is the bonus rather than the sole focus, and I think maybe with Ronfo it, it was the other way around. Um, but like you said, um, injuries struck as uh, as they did, and I think I think that goes with having quite a, a light squad in terms of mm. numbers. Is that you get one injury, then you're asking guys to overplay, and then you know the kind of wear and tear kicks in, the fatigue kicks in, and you know people's bodies aren't maybe as robust as they as they normally would be and then they, they tend to snowball and 
and that's what happened. So we end up doing a U-turn and, uh, and <laughs> Rambo stays. And then I, I, I think I remember when we were about to release him, he had like his best game of the season. It was an away game in Belfast that I remember sticking out as being pretty good in his last couple of weekends. And... Yeah, and then there was the, the home game. I'm pretty sure he got man of the match at home the day, you know, in, in his last, what was to be his last game. And, you know, everyone's like, Rumpo's turned the corner. And, uh, <laughs> so had you team. already made the decision by yeah, then? Had you yeah, told him? Yeah, Finity was either in or on his way or, or whatever it was, signed. So we had to, we had to make way. And yeah, he, he turns, you know, he, he, he waits till that point to play his best hockey of the season and, and starts to show the, the guy that we thought we were getting. Um, but I think that we ended up carrying on with it. He stayed around to do his school. Um, but then with injuries, do a U-turn and, and back he comes. And from memory, he was, he was pretty steady towards the end of that. Yeah, he was a lot, lot better. And uh, when he realised, I think, that... You know, it's, it's a lot better to be playing hockey, and obviously he was earning more money if he was playing hockey than if he was just there for school. So um, you know, you wanted to stick around. So you know, it ended up, it ended up okay. Not many people get brought back uh, as quickly as that, and he wasn't brought back for the record breaker season. We've already touched upon this, of course, so we don't need to go too much in depth. We've already talked a lot about these guys. Have we talked about that we're Guinness World Record holders? Have we done that? Yeah, yeah we, we yeah, mentioned yeah. that. We, did we, we yeah? had uh, well, about a two hours worth of oh, okay, chat yeah. about yeah, that. Yeah, so, so we did. So we but did. I always think it's worth repeating. So that's <laughs> uh, Guinness World Book of World Records. The, Off we uh, go. The very the you know the authority on all things brilliant in the world. Yep. Cardiff Devils, right in there. Buy your uh, next uh, edition for Christmas. John Pelly, one season yes. as a Devil. I mean. I love him because he was part of the record breaker season and I'll forgive him for celebrating <laughs> the goal on the Giants webcast the other week. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was on the Giants webcast. He was on the Giants. <laughs> but John Pelle, possibly the most natural finisher that the Devils have uh, had in recent times. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, gone too soon. Yes, yes, yes. A million times over. Um, you know, I talked on the, the record-breaking edition about how I wasn't that keen on him in the summer and it was G that really sort of pushed him and said, I got a good feel on this one. And, um, you know, that chemistry that he struck up with Matsker and, and Max and, you know, all those what seemed were like backdoor tap-ins, but they were just pure instinct. And I don't think I've seen a guy read the play as well as John Pelly in terms of being, you know, right time, right place. Um, and we would have loved to keep him, uh, to have kept him for the year after. He was on a school deal when we had him, uh, on an MBA deal. Um, we offered him big money for us at the time to keep him, but you know he had in his head that he wanted to go and and win trophies, and it wasn't going to be in Cardiff. He thought he had a better chance of that in Belfast, so so off he went. And we... Did that surprise you, given how close you had come in that season with him? Yeah, I think that's when things were starting to fall fall apart off okay. uh, behind the scenes. There was, you know, he was there for the summer months, and I don't think was they were treated that well, to be honest. Um, okay. In that extended stay, once the f- season was finished, and it left a bad taste in his mouth. And um, you know, you can't blame him really. You know, he could see that uh, 
the next year we weren't going to have anywhere near the budget. I say anywhere near the budget. You know, I already talked in the world record edition that it wasn't a high budget team, no matter what anyone says. Um, but we were cutting it again. You know, so it wasn't that we were going to build on that world record season. It was, you know, there was definite cuts coming. Uh, you know, he could see the writing on the wall and uh, and jumped across to Belfast. Do you think if Matsker had signed earlier in the summer because of course he signed in France yeah he'd already summer. signed in, in France at that point yeah do you think if, close friends, so. yeah do you think if there had been a, a Matska still in that club who had maybe been able to bend his ear a little bit he may have been persuaded to stay quite possibly quite possibly but you know I, I think Pals you know was, was reading into that that okay we've lost Matska we're not going to replace him like for like and um you know, he he wanted a uh, what he felt was a better shot, and you know it turned out right for him. He did. He did win the league. So he yeah. Can't. yeah. <laughs> he can't. One of the weirdest things that that I heard was that um, when Doug Christensen was recruiting him, now Pels has just absolutely set the league on fire. Forty-four goals, fifty-four games, plus all his playoffs and cut. He was over fifty goals, and Christensen told him that he was not going to score 50 goals that next year. It was going to be more like 20 or 25. Um, but they were going to be big goals and you know, this, that, and the other. And I just thought that was a really weird thing to tell a goal scorer. And goal scorers thrive on confidence. And, you know, Pals, when he was on a goal scoring streak, he, you knew he was going to score. And I think with those guys, you need to tell him, 50, you're going to get 60 this year. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I thought that was just a weird, weird approach. And I don't think he was ever happy in Belfast the whole time he was over there uh, on ice. Um, because I, you know, I think from that comment, he almost felt that Christensen didn't have the trust in him that, that perhaps G had in him and the belief in mm. him. And his production dropped massively, didn't it? I know he, he, he suffered an injury early doors uh, and that bugged him a little bit. But um, yeah, I just thought what a weird approach that was to tell somebody that... Uh, was a, a 50 goal scorer he was going to score 25 which he ended up scoring I think 25 but again looking at this roster that the Giants had I mean it's, it's full of talent but he didn't have that Matsker-esque centre Rob Dowd went over who's a natural goal scorer maybe not so much a, a playmaker um, yeah it just doesn't look you know the top three scorers for the Giants that year were Craig Peacock Robert Dowd Jeff Mason the D-man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, pretty incredible when you, you know, look at it, isn't it? Pele comes in uh, in fourth position with 57 points, but it's a bit of a drop-off after Pele. He didn't maybe have that guy to get him those extra 20 to 25 goals. I, I definitely think confidence was a massive point in it because I remember speaking to him when he was over there and he's just like, yeah, I just don't think he rates me. And it was always in the back of his mind that he wasn't, he wasn't rated. Um, and I think he... You know, when he was in Cardiff, it was maybe one of the first times he'd been put into that slot where he was the go-to guy for goals. You know, in in his career before that, he'd been a kind of um, not necessarily an out and out and out and out goal scorer. But G was the one that said to him, "You are my goal scorer. You're that top light. You are going to be the top goal scorer in the league." And you know, out, out you went to do it. Um, and yeah, I just I just never felt he was happy. You know, he always had that nagging doubt in his mind that. Uh, that he, yeah, he didn't know what he had to do to prove himself. He's just scored fifty goals, and the guy's telling him he's going to cut his production in half. And I think that played in his mind massively. And of course, Craig Weller 
again we've we've talked to him about him at length and you know definitely gone too soon again you know could have been a, a career guy and he just it's just so weird how he didn't make a bigger impression than when he left and went to the DEL, went to the Austrian league because they're two of the more physical leagues in Europe. It, you know, if he'd had gone to a, I know a Swedish or Finnish league, I could maybe see why he didn't make the impact he did with us. But you know, I would have thought Wellesley, with all the talent that he had, um, all the tools that he could have made, been an impact guy in both of those leagues. But again, it was. It, in the DL, they ended up playing him as a forward on the fourth line as a role player, mm-hmm. and he had so much more to his game on that. I always felt he was a better D man um, than he was as a, as a forward. We we tried him at forward in a couple of games to try and uh, you know where we were looking to get a spark, and he couldn't have the same impact. I mean, one you don't get the same amount of ice time uh, as a forward as you do as a D man, and 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 secondly, it was. Um, just him being able to, he could skate with the puck so well, he had a big shot from the point, he could dictate the play, and so, so talented that I, you know, I feel that his, you know, his shot over in the DL and the Austrian League were wasted, really, in the, in the roles that they, they gave him. How many times did we try to get Craig Weller back to the Garden Devils? Every oh. week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, we, we did put the biggest ever offer you know having said that he was brought in on modest money you know we put a massive offer out to keep him because he was you know what we saw as a franchise player um you know he definitely raised the bar of the whole club when he arrived so you know there was a value in that um you know and it was really that he wanted to get back into uh, a more credible league and at the time the austrian league was a lot more credible than than the british league you know he'd obviously come from a uh, an ahl slash nhl career and he was looking to step back up in, you know, up the pay grade. So even though it was, a, it was a big offer for us that we made to try and keep him that year, it was nothing compared to what Austria and Germany were paying at the time. So he was looking to get to get back up those. But um, yeah, in hindsight, maybe for him, if he'd have stayed and made himself a true, you know, true hero with us, um, it would have been better for him and more enjoyable. Because I don't think necessarily he enjoyed his time across in in Austria and Germany off off on the ice sorry I know he did off the ice beautiful countries beautiful cities that he played in um but on the ice I think it was a bit of a a miserable time and especially when you've been playing in the NHL not long before you've been a captain in the American League you know to then go to be a a bit part player on a fourth line is uh is it you know it's pretty miserable any uh, any attempt to sign him at the Matska game because even at what is he thirty four there yeah. I think he did uh... <laughs> yeah we we did actually talk not long before that about um, he had gone into you know to the real world and was doing well in his job and you know there was a possibility he could speak to his employers about having a, a sabbatical from his career in order to get an MBA um, because he didn't have much schooling behind him uh, and he did sort of ask whether we could look into it, whether, you know, and I think that there was two obstacles. One was visa requirements because he hadn't been playing. And secondly, a young family. And ultimately it was that, that, that stopped the move because, you know, he didn't want to disrupt his family. He would just settled into school and things like that. But yeah, we did have a, a kind of, he threw it out there just to, just to kind of get the reaction. And you then, rang my employer's Cardiff Met and said, I don't care what happens. Yes, yeah. <laughs> get that place for him. Yeah, and, you know, straight away, you know, and this was in the, 
I think this was in the Andrew Lord era. Um, so, you know, I've gone back to them and said, there's a possibility Weller might come back. But yeah, when we looked at the visa requirements, I don't think we would have been there. And ultimately, well, he said, look, it's kind of a, a lovely idea. It's something I'd really like to do, but I don't think practically it's going to work with, with my family. So he had a bad day at work. Didn't want to go back to work the next day. Yeah. Thought I was good at hockey once. I'll yeah. see if I can go back to that. But I'd still take him today. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for part three. And boy, oh boy, has this been a bit of an opus in this episode. Um, as it's Challenge Cup weekend, and as we're so generous, we're going to drop part four in the next couple of days. So you'll have that over Challenge Cup final weekend, and that'll put a nice little bow on this topic gone too soon it's uh, been so interesting and insightful to go through some of these guys we're not over yet we finished there at the end of the record breaker season we've still got all of andrew lord's reign as coach to go and the last couple of seasons of franny and g in charge of recruitment so still a lot of great names to come thank you ever so much for listening to us, as I say, part four will be dropping very, very shortly. Uh, this has been part three. Thank you for listening. <laughs>